welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life podcast. Today I'm joined by Dave Henley and Darren Newland of MA Sourcing. I've known these gentlemen for a long time now and become very good friends with them. They are investors in their own right and they also run a sourcing business as well. We operate in similar investment areas so I know a lot about what the boys are doing and they are fantastic at what they do. Uh, in this episode we're going to dive into the nitty gritty of sourcing agents, what they do, how they operate, what you should be looking for from your sourcing agent as well to make sure they're fully compliant and above board and the kind of services uh, that they can provide you to help you build your property portfolio. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everybody, welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life Podcast. I am joined this week by Dave and Darren of Michael Alexander Sourcing. Hi gents, how are you doing? Good evening. All good, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, um, Dave and Darren, long-standing friends of mine. Um, Dave, I must have known you for over 10 years now. 2012, I reckon, well, yeah. 2013 is probably when our paths first crossed, so yeah, long, long time ago. Um, and Darren obviously met you a bit more recently kind of via Dave, still known you for a long time, but kind of a bit more via Dave. Um, gents, do you want to kind of introduce yourselves, tell our listeners a little bit about your backgrounds and how you got into property? Yeah, go on, Dal, you can lead off. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> well, construction project manager, um, mainly working restaurant fit out at the moment, but have worked in across sort of all, all, all sectors of, uh, of property. Um, got involved in property investing 10 years ago, mainly sort of my, my main role in the company is from like finding the, uh, finding properties is managing the refurbs, sourcing materials and everything like that. And Dave? Yeah. And yeah, so Darren and I actually sort of, st we actually met at uni. Uh, that's going back a much longer way now. Um, <laughs> and that was where we first sort of started talking about property spent a long time talking about it, eventually got round to, as I just said to James, 2012-ish, starting to invest ourselves. Um, my background's also in construction, so I was on the project management and building surveying side of things. And, you know, fast forward to now, I'm full-time, if you like, in our property businesses, because we invest and we source. Um, so sort of looking after the day-to-day -day running, running of things, really. And so you're both obviously got construction backgrounds there. Did that form a big part of you thinking property? Were you kind of thinking, well, we know construction, construction is a big part of property investment, which is why we want to do it. Or had you always just thought, I like the idea of investing in property and kind of the bricks and mortar and the passive income side of things? Probably. Me, me, I like the construction side. So I'd sort of like enjoy sort of seeing empty dilapidated houses and sort of bringing them back to life. That's sort of one of the key reasons I got involved in property, if I'm honest. Um, also, through renting at university, you sort of realised there was a, it's certainly a lucrative business if you do it right. <laughs> Completely, yeah. My my The house that we lived in, we chose the worst house that we could find because it was the cheapest, which meant we had more money for beer. Um, yeah, I think probably not the right way to go about we probably We probably all had those conversations. Six blokes living in what was actually a three-bed semi. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody in the, in the basement, like living down there, they shouldn't have been, no windows. <laughs> yes, and to be fair, that's when we, we did start. We were obviously studying construction at the time anyway, and that's a completely different way of, or a different part of the industry, if mm. you like. Um, and, and I certainly realised that when we got into property ourselves, the actual construction element is like that, 
compared to that what you need to what you need to know but it like but it, it, but it like does it. help yeah i think from a technical point of view it definitely helps oh 100 like when you when you guys are speaking to to builders tradespeople, you definitely will have an upper hand over kind of the average investor that doesn't hasn't spent three years at university studying construction yeah and especially once you get out into the industry as well and you're you know like darren is and i was project managing you are you know it's always that balancing act you've got the client on one side you've got the contractor on the other side you've got all the subbies so there's lots of moving parts so it definitely helps to have that that experience um and have you guys always invested together has it always been kind of a joint business yeah so it's always been a joint business from our first property back to 2012 2012 actually wasn't it dave i think yeah. our first our first property but it's always always been joint yeah so and I know you're kind of you're, you're not based where you were when you started out. You were living in London when you started out. Were you investing down there as well? The very first one was. Um, it was a flat. It was actually close to where I was living. So I grew up in Wembley. Um, it was a flat in South Harrow, which is sort of five, ten minutes up the road. Very typical. Bought it because it was close to home. <laughs> We'd saved up a pot of money from working. That was what we could afford to buy. Um, at the moment, that was the that's the only one that we done in London because yeah. it didn't take long to sort of move further afield. Was it kind of like just run out of money, realised that this this has kind of taken all capital and, and there's there was a better way of investing elsewhere? Or yeah, it was it was that sort of very stereotypical. You know, this is how much we've got. Therefore, let's buy something that's we can use that money for. But then you you very quickly hit the end of that road and start looking around for alternative ways of doing things. And, and the cash great. Flow wasn't, sorry, the cash flow wasn't great for the money that we'd invested. If yeah. because it was London, we'd put all our money in and realised we're only making sort of 150 pounds a month or something. It'd take a long time to save up to, to carry on. And, and I'm sure you could have got, or when you started buying elsewhere, you were getting 150 pound a month from slightly cheaper properties as well. Absolutely, yeah. And we operate in relatively, you know, in kind of effectively the same neck of the woods. We've got, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of operate in, in in similar territories um what kind of made you choose and 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 do you want to kind of do you want to it's up to you whether you, whether you guys kind of share the investment location yeah yeah so we yeah, so yeah we, okay so we operate we so actually, <laughs> yeah so we, we actually started off in in northampton because we were in london it was a little bit further out but not all the way up to the north mm. um and it worked and it worked for us at the time we were both in full-time corporate jobs um, Northampton was a really good market back then. It probably still, it probably still is. But we realised after a few years there that again, what we were looking for was getting a little bit squeezed. Mm. So we just took the same methods we were using and went further afield again. Um, and that's how we basically ended up in Northeast Links. Yeah. And so you've got stuff in kind of Gainsborough, Grimsby, Cleethorpes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And. You primarily kind of invest for yourself as, as you know, as, as investors. But then when and at what point, because, you know, it'd be great to talk to you. We've not had any sourcing agents on the on the podcast before. So it'd be great to kind of pick your brains on the sourcing side of things as well. Um, at what point did you guys go, actually, we've got the opportunity to create another business within property here? Mm. I reckon we, when do you reckon we first, we probably it's talked about, about it. We've talked about it for a long time, but probably about four years ago we started oh, yeah. talking about it because we were just finding so many deals, and we obviously weren't 
some of them, not all of them worked for us. We were doing all the viewings, finding all the right properties. They didn't all work for us. And equally, we didn't have the money to do all of them at the same time. So that's when we sort of realized, well, hang on a sec, we're doing, we're putting all this effort in. We're, we're, we're putting offers in on everything, but only able to, only able to um, complete on, on some of them. So we thought, right, well, let's put, let's use our hard work and help other people in, in finding properties. So, so, and, and it was that born out of, you know, the agents or, or the vendors kind of saying, well, your offer might be, let's say, you know, 60 grand and you've gone, mm, doesn't work for me at 60. I've got a mortgage on this of 70, for example. And you've gone, doesn't work for me at 70, but it might work for someone that we know at 70 or another investor at 70. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly I've, that. That's definitely, that's definitely one part of it. And to be fair, it's, it's something that we, we still say similar today when we're talking to agents or to vendors. And we say, look, predominantly we do invest. We'll always give you, you know, we'll always be transparent. We're not going to mess around. We'll always give you our number. Um, but if that doesn't work for you, then let's keep talking because we don't want to walk away from the deal because we've got lots of clients yeah. who have different parameters, different requirements, different expectations in terms of their level of return. So quite often, not every time, of course, you know, but quite often we can still find a way to make that deal work, mm. even if it's not working for us per se. And it was also the same when we got direct to vendor quite a lot as well. We're getting direct to vendor and yeah. um yeah, same same sort of aspirations that they want they wanted a bit more on the on the asking price and we just couldn't meet that. So But there will always be there'll be you know, there, there's someone else that is prepared to pay a little bit more that maybe isn't a trained investor, because obviously I know you guys have kind of been trained in the same way that, that I have, where you kind of want, you know, a deal is where you pull it, you're you're buying it, you're pulling out most of your capital and moving on to the next one. Not everyone yeah. gets that. Exactly, yeah. and it's, it, like, we might have been one, two thousand pounds out, which sounds madness to not do a deal because of that. But you've got to be strict with your with your numbers, and if you're not, you you can end up in a in, in not not where you want to be. You kind of just start leaking and leak. Oh, it's, it's only one grand here, it's only two grand here, it's only three grand, and all of a sudden it's like ten, fifteen, twenty, and you're like, I'm, I'm basically starting to, you know, I could be overpaying for properties here if I didn't don't start kind of. Yeah, it. and I think that's that's part of the new. You will have experienced this as well, James, is that cycle, you know, where you'll have. You'll have a time where you might have flipped something or you've recycled or you've refinanced a couple of properties. So all of a sudden you're like, okay, we've got good pot there, ready to go. Let's go again. Yeah. But you take that approach. Oh, we can leave X amount in two, three, four deals in. You find yourself in the oh, position I'm again kidding. where you're like, right, <laughs> we need to get more money in. We need to get recycling. Mm. We need to get refinancing. And But we never wanted to stop at that point. And I think that was the other big push is we're like, well, we don't want to, we've got contacts. We're still doing viewings. We're still, coming across lots of deals let's just keep trying to keep them moving through a business and the setting up of the sort because of you know it wasn't that long ago when if you want if you know if, if you wanted to source me a deal for example you found something you could just go james look i found this house do you want it and i go yeah i'll pay you I'll, you know i'll chuck you a couple of thousand pounds as a sourcing fee and and you know we shake hands and that's it sourcing as a business has changed dramatically hasn't it over the last sort of five six years yeah, massively. And and the, the compliance is, I think, certainly for me, and I'm probably speaking for Darren here as well, is like when we really started to getting into the, the nitty gritty of it, it was quite astounding the amount of compliance and regulation and this act and that act and all of the things that do actually apply if you want to do it properly, you know, and I would always say that's that's the caveat. And what are some of the, you know, for our listeners that maybe don't recognise or realise what's kind of involved in that setting up of a business, what are some of those requirements that you have had to 
go through in order to become a compliant sourcing agent? So insurance is a big one. Mm -hmm. And again, that might sound obvious, you know, every business has to have insurance. It's very specific for sourcing agents. Um, your data protection, again, I know it's a few years back, it was a massive buzzword. Yeah. It hasn't gone away. It's just that other things have come into play. Um, the money laundering is a big one. Mm. And I think particularly with you know, UK being the UK, you know, it's always open to business. We've got lots of money that passes through the UK, We've got lots of overseas investors. Property's always been a an attractive um, industry to, to get involved in. But it's because it's high value it, and you can buy you can buy properties cash. It would be an easy way for somebody to absolutely you know, utilize I mean, and, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, to be fair, like I'm I'm saying international there, but the, the money laundering applies across the board, mm. you know, even if it was um, us dealing with someone that we've known for, yeah. like you, for example, yeah. someone that we've known for 10 years, we've still got to go through that process um, as agents. You've got to be regulated with HMRC to be able to do that. Um, and do you, so for, so for money laundering checks, do you do that personally? Is that outsourced? So belt and braces, we do both. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we would always say that we want to go through the, the sort of physical hard copy process side of things if we possibly can um, yeah. you know look, there are situations where that's not possible or it's just going to cause delays so we can sort of fast track that process because there are electronic verification systems but every single time we do a deal or every single time we're working with a client i should say the bottom line is we have to be fully fully satisfied under the aml guidelines that we've done all we should be doing in order to uh, verify the legitimacy of that person and their source of funds, of course. And, it, and it's the same on the vendor as well. We've got to do the same yep. level of due diligence on the vendor because you could, yeah. That's, you so making sure that kind of why, is that why they're selling the property and kind of understanding kind of that they, Correct. And that, and that they actually own the and they actually own the property as well, mm. because obviously it's, that's quite a, there's been quite a few reports on it recently where people have sold properties they don't own. And if you, you pay the right people i'm sure yeah. <laughs> yeah so that that i guess that's kind of probably more land registry checks on your end and making yeah. sure that, yeah so so making sure that the owner is who they, who, who they say you are and who you're dealing with as well because i'm sure there's probably been situations where you've been speaking to somebody that that is able to act on behalf of the vendor but isn't the vendor themselves maybe in a situation of sort of probate or yeah yeah, um, yeah. you know where there's been a you know somebody's maybe been moved into a home and they they they've kind of signed off their um, what do you call that? The when someone's in a home, they can't act for themselves. Uh, the power, power, of power of attorney. Power of attorney. That's that's yeah. the one. That's the one. So <laughs> you might be dealing in a situation where that kind of thing crops up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got, you've got two business partners. And you know, you've, you've only met one of them because the other one's overseas. So you've got you've got all of those sort of. <laughs> when you get into it, it's very complex. Yeah, the other th the other things as well because you know just on on sort of the areas that we have to make sure we are governed by if you like is it's now it's pretty much akin to estate agency so mm -hmm. i remember from an investment point of view and jamie we started investing at the same sort of time back then there wasn't even that many checks when you were buying a house through an estate agent was there it was no, just like 
you know, it's that it was like, can you show me that you've got the money to do it? Just so I, <laughs> yeah. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Whereas, and then obviously a few years ago, they brought it into the estate agency industry mm. and we had to, you know, provide proof of funds up front, go through their AML processes, etc. It's It's the same now with, with sourcing. And, and I think it's only going to go one way. You know, we've got governing bodies there as well in terms of the property ombudsman or the property redress scheme. You often see an estate agency windows that they will have the, logo of whoever they are registered with as well and what does that actually mean for for somebody that maybe hasn't dealt with a sourcing agent before what is the property ombudsman what is the property redress scheme and, and how who does it benefit so i suppose the simplest way is it's there to protect the the client mm. um we have to be registered with one of them part of that registration is making sure that all of your other compliance of the other things we've just discussed is in place. Um, you've, obviously there's fees involved, you know, all of these organizations that we're mentioning incur annual fees and annual subscriptions. I think that was one of the other learning points in all honesty is that it's not, it's not cheap. You know, it's not just click your fingers, register a business and there you go. You know, you're paying annual subscriptions. You're paying out few thousand pounds each year i was gonna say ballpark figure what we look at so so but but if you've sourced on one deal i guess that kind of covers it absolutely but you have to you know you've got you've got to be aware that you're going into it knowing like any business knowing that there is there is a cost to actually being in business you know so you, you don't want to be just be uh, sitting on your laurels once you've got set up exactly yeah you want to you want it actually producing your income as, as soon as you can yeah so lots of regulation, lots of lots of rules in terms of if somebody wants to work with you, would they have to sign contract? You know, they have to sign contracts and sign agreements to, to become a client because that's sort of want. You know, you want to make sure that you're dealing with the right types of people that are going to be buying as well. I guess that's the that's the other side of it, and how how much work there is in, in setting that element up of having your terms and conditions, um, and and all your other as Dave mentioned, data protection. Uh, documents there's a lot of documents that we have to send out to onboard a client to, mm. to get them to read and it might be pages and pages but all, all stuff that we have to do to, to to be compliant as part of um the ombudsman or aml it's all mm. it's all it's all interlinked and there's a lot of uh takes a lot of time to write those documents <laughs> <laughs> do, do you when it comes to kind of let's say onboarding a new client i'm i'm coming to you guys i'm saying look i'm 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 time poor um i've got some funds i want to get that invested in property um, will you kind of take the time, find out what I'm exactly what I'm looking for, what my ROIs are? Do you kind of effectively handpick deals for investors, or is it kind of just sent to all? That's that's how that's how we that's how we work. Yes, um, we, we don't we we're not sort of we don't have hundreds of clients. We choose to have less clients. Mm. Um, we'll have, we'll have an onboarding call call with the client and understand. We again as part of the checks, we have to sort of have a we have to get to know the client. So we'll go through and talk about strategies what your strategy is funds available number of deals that you want to do per year all of that sort of thing big sort of data capture really um that's sort of the very first process is that of the onboarding uh, and then after that we send out all of our all of our documents and equally are there clients that you know you might have that onboarding call and you go you know what this this doesn't work this relationship what you want what we can provide it's not you know there's it doesn't quite work there so you know, and that's you know maybe part of the part of the reason why you do work with less clients. Does that sometimes happen? Yeah, I think uh, I mean, you go, Dave. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, like we where we've we've had not so much we won't work with you recently, but like we've had we've had a couple of calls and and sort of people have been 
and I'm not saying this is right or wrong because everyone's you know makes that, that has their own, obviously own ability to make a choice around this, but people have been very set on a specific area, and mm -hmm. you know geographically, I mean, so a specific location, and for us, we tend to heavily focus on the areas that we actually invest in, um, and that's very much part of our ethos is, well, look, we can stand here hand on heart and say, we know that street, we know that particular part of town, we've got a good contractor to help you with X, Y, Z if you need it, we've got managing agents. If we just said we'll find someone a property anywhere, we wouldn't be able to do that, yeah. you know. And But we've said to people, like, look, if you've got a very specific area that we don't cover, we're not just going to go and start covering an area, yeah. or, you know. You're on... sourcing properties that you know that you would be happy to buy yourself, and and that's I guess part of it. If if I said to you boys, I want a house in in Cardiff or down in the valleys in Wales, and you could go and find me one, but it doesn't mean whether it, it would be a good deal for me because you don't know that area, and it's it's not worth your time going out and looking and finding just for one sourcing fee. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think we you know we know the areas that we invest in and source in are strong, you know, in terms of, obviously it depends on what people are looking for, but generally speaking, we're getting very solid returns, you know, and we can, we can produce those results time and time again, because we know the market. And I guess you work with a lot of repeat clients as well, because once they've, you know, you've passed them a deal, they've kind of started to see the cash flow that it generates. They kind of want another one, want another one, want as, as many as their, their funds will allow them to buy. Yeah. And that's part, that's part of that, that sort of first initial conversation as well, because there's a big difference if someone's saying, you know, I've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds available. I want 10, 15, 20 properties mm -hmm. a year or someone saying I've got that pot of cash. It's not likely to grow. This is how many deals I think I could yeah, work over it. the next one, two, three, four years. Mm -hmm. Different requirements, you know, but always happy to work with people sort of time and time again because you get to know each other as well you know and they could turn to us and say actually I was looking for this before I'm now looking for that mm. can you help and are, are your a lot of your clients people that are sort of friends people that you've already known or are they other investors that you've just met along the way that are looking for deals that you know maybe aren't getting out into an investment area themselves on a regular basis bit of both um, I think, as Darren mentioned before, you know, we we never wanted to mass market, if you like. And I know, again, I know there are sourcing agents out there who do. That's that's their mm -hmm. business model. It's a completely different model to us. But we would always generally rather work on a relationship. Not that that relationship has to exist right now, because we'd never grow our client base. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we've got to we've got to get out there. We've got to meet people. We've got to, you know, hopefully word of mouth spreads as 100%. well. Um, but we, we absolutely started off with sort of friends and family, people that we knew who they've seen us doing it for however many years now. That's the other thing, you know, and sometimes it takes people a while to really buy into it or, or cotton on to the business. So the, but the people that maybe were laughing at you in starting up saying, oh, we're going to set up a property business. They were like, ha ha ha. I wonder how long that'll last for then, you know, five, six years later, they're like, oh, could you get me a house, please? Yeah, it, it does happen. You know, and we, we laugh about it. But I, I know so many experienced investors who can sort of retail it, retail a tale like that. A hundred percent. And the the kind of the the types of deals that you find strategy wise, what does that range from to? 
Most most of the stuff we find is buy to lets. We've got um, we have recently sourced a conversion of a care home to an HMO, uh, which we which we're still work while I'm working on the project management side of that, due due to complete this week actually. Um, but gen generally, it'd be buy to lets that we're we're finding. And HMOs as well. Do you, do you guys deal with HMOs? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because yeah. we and again, we've just we didn't do any do, um, HMO conversions ourselves up in uh, Northeast Links for the first probably two, two or three years. I'd say though, we just we sort of stuck yeah. to buy to lets because we knew that that worked, you know, and, and and we built on there. And we, I think, when we went there as an area, the focus was very much on volume of deals you know buy to let cheap and cheerful but really really strong returns and, and long-term tenants as well sort of knowing the area you get people that stay in houses for donkey's years yeah, absolutely i think we've got, you know we've probably got some tenants now who have been there probably five six seven years i'd say um yeah. you know which is brilliant and that's what and that's actually one of the things with the hmos so when we did then take that step we were like and again, it came from sort of having conversations with people, getting to know the area a little bit better, building up a bit more confidence. Because, of course, with HMOs, you're outlaying an awful lot more money before you've even got a tenant in the door. So we wanted to be sure that we were going to get those returns. Values is another thing you have to watch as well. You know, we're not operating in London. You're not dealing with properties worth multiple hundreds of thousands of pounds never become probably worth multiple hundreds of thousands maybe one day maybe, <laughs> maybe one day I don't, think, I don't know if we'll still be around when they hit that but <laughs> no but you know you're not and, and so, you, so i think from our point of view as well we we wanted that reassurance and that confidence on our numbers mm. you know and we've just we've just recently completed our second one up there now so you know we're we're well into double figures in terms of number of rooms that we've got up there now um the turnover of tenants is much, more yeah you know you you see it you see it a lot more because you've got contractors you've got people who are moving in from a different area they're new to the town that just maybe just spending months. six months in working the hospital there on a, yeah, on a lots, of, lots of big hospital placements lots of big yeah. hospital placements yeah absolutely but you know look all of that said at the end of the day your returns are much much stronger you know and again actually we've recently been speaking with a client he's he's based in london he works for himself he's got his own business he's got bit of cash and he said i just want to jump straight into hmos because i like the returns that are potentially on offer yeah we're there we're there then to guide people like that because it, it, it's you know there's a lot to take in there's a lot to learn and will you hold some if someone's never done a hmo conversion for example will you kind of hold their hand through that whole process as part of your you know it's not just a sourcing fee going right i found you the deal here you go here's your property you you take it from here yeah absolutely because and and again different people want different things. You know, some people are very happy with that approach that you just yeah. said there, you know, just find me the property. I'll take it from there. Yeah. Other people want sort of everything overseen for them. Um, right up until the point at which someone is signing off the refurb. So mm -hmm. Darren's got his own project management company as well, you know, which works well because if there is anyone who needs that, we've got a, you know, bona fide outlet for, yeah. for doing so. So, and, and will the fees differ? If, if I just said to you, can you go find me a buy to let, please? I've got a team in place. I'll take care of everything else. I just want you to find me a good quality deal with a nice ch chunky discount versus can you find me a buy to let and then can you manage the refurb for me? And then can you put me in touch with a letting agent who'll then get it managed? Yeah, because uh, it's, it's different levels, isn't it? You know, it's different levels of service. So 
you know, typically if we're just finding a deal for someone and we'll, we'll lay all this out, you know, we'll, we'll make this very, very clear in our sort of terms and conditions and whatever agreement we have with that particular person on that particular deal. If it's just finding someone a property, taking it up to a certain point, we'll charge a fee, yeah. you know, and that's it. We, we found the deal. We've been viewed the property. We've given our feedback. We've got the deal agreed over to you, Mr. or Mrs. Client. However, if we then, if we, if we, we are required beyond that point, um, quite often with project management, it's commonplace to sort of charge a, a percentage of the cost mm-hmm. of works. You know, and again, that can differ depending on the, the size of the, the level. Project, of course, yeah, yeah. And I guess, and, and you, you both, the, the fact that both of you have got knowledge and expertise in that area um, ma- massively kind of builds confidence in, in your services, in your knowledge as well, because somebody that's never done a refurb before that can be that can typically be the scariest bit of property investing isn't it it's taking a shell and turning it into a nice house how does that work how do i work with tradespeople? that's what you know you boys did for a long time as as sort of day-to-day work yeah and we still do managing our own refurbs i mean we've, mm. we've quite often got two or three projects on site at a time so we're dealing with contractors every every day near enough to um to get our own stuff over the line so yeah we're very very used to dealing with contractors so it's just and an extent, and have our own little pool of contractors up there now that we use. We sort of nearly got two of every trade, so we we make sure it's sort of projects can keep moving and keep competitive on price as well. And I guess that also means that the speed, the turnaround speed, if you've got multiple teams, things aren't just things never grind to a halt. There's always somebody there to to go in, keep things ticking over, which then means income in your pocket quicker as well, which is a, a big factor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and that you'll see, you know, you see the level of difference in what's required from a project as well you know like darren darren will manage in the commercial world mm. i don't know pro- what seven Mul- projects like yeah multi-million pound projects yeah. day in day out but you don't get many not- multi-million pound projects in uh in northeast links do you no like in, you know <laughs> like a, a, a quick refurb on one of our buy to let might be you know seven or eight grand spend but it still needs to be managed you know you've still mm. got a couple of weeks on site or whatever it might be to make sure that everything is uh coordinated properly and neither of you actually live in the area that, you know, up, n- neither of you live in Northeast Links, do you? So how no. do you find, you know, how, how often are you up there? What's the, you know, how do you find managing things from afar? We're up there. Every, we, we typically go up there every other week um, and just pack our day when we're up there. Um, so we'll be doing multiple viewings. We'll make sure that we've got, um, if we've got projects running, then we, we we're spending time at each project. Some sometimes we'll go we'll drive up together, but we'll we'll split off, um, so we can make you best use of time. Yeah. But typically every two weeks, we find that work that works quite well, especially with the especially with the project management side of things. They don't need you don't need to be there every week, and we we normally get sort of report every single week from contractor anyway on a project to make sure that they're moving at the pace they should be, so that you can see progress even when you're not there. Exactly, which is yeah, really exactly. important. I think the, the, the sort of key, there's always key milestones as well. Like we're quite often not there. Let's say the day we complete on a property yeah. um, or a client completes on a property, we might not be there to pick up that key. But as long as we know whose project managing it, which contract is going to be going in first, we've got agreement from all parties that they can go and get cracking. You know, we've pre-agreed what needs to be done. Um, it just helps keep everything moving as well. And then on a, on a sort of day-to-day basis, we never wanted to self-manage. You know, I, I still don't. Don't don't like tenants. We've done, 
did we we managed that very first one that I mentioned in London. Yeah. Um, again, because it was probably quite naive, you know, like, oh, we'll, we'll just manage it ourselves. You know, but again, there was probably 150 pieces of legislation less back then with regards to managing a tenancy. It was literally just like, sign this AST, pay me some money and away we go. That was it. You know, now you've got to do all sorts of checks, all sorts of compliance from a management point of view. So mm. we we outsource that element to our yeah. local friendly professional managing agents and they're excellent. You know, they keep on top of everything for us. And you can then, you know, that your clients can be using that same lessing agent as well, because if it's good enough for you, they're kind of thinking, well, it's going to be good enough for me as well, which is which is nice. And, and that's a massive win-win. You know, our, our letting agents really appreciate it when we recommend their services to someone. Mm. Someone really appreciates it, as you said, that we're passing on a, you know, a trusted contact of ours to look after their their precious stock. A hundred percent. And you know that they're going to look after a client's property as well as they can look after yours, which is going to incentivize repeat business for you guys yeah that's absolutely and, and we always like you know we'll, we'll pop in we'll see them um, we'll always drop in for a coffee or a cup of tea you know and keep just keep that relationship up and if one of your clients you know they, they might start off as a client you know you might source them a few deals then they're going off and, and wanting to you know maybe look for a couple themselves do you help kind of give advice about good parts of town bad parts of town as well yeah like we've got you know I firmly believe in there's an awful lot to go around mm. you know as much as we'd love to sit here and say between us and our clients we can do absolutely every single deal we can't yeah you know there's there's so many deals out there um the number of empty properties is absolutely astounding that brings it. you know and, and that's not just the part of the world that we operate in i, I believe you could go to any town or city across the country and you'd find 10, 15, 20 empty properties within the space of an hour if you were looking, you know, but there are still parts of town that are uh, less desirable. Yeah, we say. That way, yeah. and there, are, there are some which are much more attractive and then there's everything in between. Mm. Um, that's James, you and I were talking the other day, uh, we, you know, yeah. that's, that's changed. That's changed even in the five years that we've, we've been up there. It's changing. There's still, there's still kind of, you know, you wouldn't be buying up on, on some of the houses that are next to the houses that are completely boarded up and have been for the last ten years. But the the bad areas are getting a bit better. And I don't know if that's sort of just general investment, if that's councils trying to improve the area, or councils needing to start using some of these empty properties because there are so many and there's a there's a housing shortage. I, th I think it's the possibly the influx of um, because you've got all the better standards now in terms of all the rental documents you gather. You've got your, ER, uh, your electrical certificate, your gas certificate, your EPC. I think it's generally that in itself is bringing up the condition of the, of um, of the properties, and therefore the landlords are sort of more on board. The ones that weren't bothered with that have probably disappeared out of the market, and they're probably the ones that were letting the houses to um, to get run down, and then maybe you haven't got the right tenant in there. Whereas yeah. now getting agents involved, agents do better checks and therefore the tenant profile is probably lifting in those areas. But there are obviously still areas that we we don't at the moment own properties. So we wouldn't, out of choice, and we wouldn't source properties mm. in those areas. We only source them in areas that we already own. And we can turn around and say, we know what that rent is because we have that one just yeah. around the corner or whatever it is. And speaking of rents, you know, the, with, the, with the standard of properties increasing and the level that landlords are needing to do as well, we're starting to see rents increase off the back of that as well, aren't we? Oh, yeah. mass massively. They've, they've gone, rents in, in those areas have gone up probably probably 20% in the last two years. We've had, yeah. we, had some, we had something that we had uh, 
first refurbished first tenant went in two years ago we've just relet it 100 pound more per month which is about which is about 20 25 percent dave isn't it yeah yeah and and we've you know recently probably more than at any point in the past 10 years we had it was like a, a very quick spell of a couple of tenants leaving a couple of tenants moving out of the area um we've had a couple of evictions that we've been through recently so we've you know d- despite what i was saying before right, you know you do get long-term very very good buy to let tenants but as your portfolio grows you know, all, it's easier to get one anomaly, isn't it? Exactly. You know, and, we, and we've had it recently where we've had sort of four or five properties within a few months spell where we've had a change of tenancy. Now, at certain points in time, that would have been a disaster, you know, annoying, frustrating, caused very big strain from a financial point of view. But we're in a position now where you know we, we expect things like that. Mm. We can ride it out. The absolute positive has been that we always get them properties let again within a couple of weeks because they're good properties, they're in good condition. And as Darren said, every time we relet something, the rent has shot up. You know, so that's that, not you know, and that's not necessarily us going in and doing loads of refurb because we haven't that's just the market. It's the market. It's the market has dictated that that property that was four hundred and fifty quid a month is now at five seven five. Yeah. And so yeah. you're probably get you know you're getting best part of six fifty, seven hundred pounds a month more for those five that you just relet. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we, we sit down every year, you know, as you do, or as, as you should do in business, you set your goals, you look at what's what. And one thing that we always say is, you know, where are our rents now compared to where they should be? And I think from from an ethical point of view, we absolutely, with everything else that's going on at the moment, we wouldn't just across the board go to all of our tenants and start serving notice or start massively upping rents or anything like that. Because I don't think it's right, and we don't need. You wouldn't to. like it happening to yourself, so no. you kind of go, "Well, if it, if I wouldn't like someone to do it to me, I shouldn't be doing it to someone else." Yeah, and, and you know, but but we have, by the same regard, recently had that conversation with our managing agent about, look, where are we with mm. rents? Some of them are where tenants have been there for three, four years, and we haven't touched that rent at all. You know, because it it worked at the time; they're good tenants. We want to keep them. We'll have conversations with people. Um, I rent myself. I had that conversation recently from my landlord. Um, she said, "Look, this is what we're proposing. Is that all right?" And I went back and said, "Yeah, fine." Yeah. Like you know, you expect it because everything's inflation is up, you know ten percent, so you kind of expect life to get a bit more expensive. Yeah, but we we would always rather take the approach that we ask the question, you know, and if it's going to cause someone serious issues or put someone in a difficult position, we won't do it. 100%. Yeah, we've got we've got one tenant there, you know, a month, a month and a bit, maybe five, sort of five weeks behind on. And we've done the same thing. You know, we utilize the same letting agency in that in that kind of neck of the woods. Yeah. And, you know, our letting our a lot of our tenants were kind of off off the off the pace when it came to and they said, look, we'd recommend you put it up by kind of what X, X percent. We said we don't need to do the, the X percent. We can do a little bit less than that and kind of make yeah. it easier for everyone. But the ones that are already behind on the rent, let's not do it for them until they're kind of, you know, back treading water again. Caught up. Yeah, yeah. And we, we had it recently, you know, especially you think back to, what, 2020, 2021, when all the COVID business was yeah. going on. There was a lot of people who had challenges there, you know, and we we absolutely said to people, like, look, if something changes in your life or your work situation, please just let us know, because we'd rather keep you as a good tenant but work with you even if it takes you a little while to catch up and we did we had a couple of tenants probably took them what the best part of a year to catch up but they did 
you know, and there was no pressure on them. It was just they wanted to, um, you know, and they wanted to sort of get back to where they, where they should be. And we worked with them to do and that. And they want to stay in the property because, you yep. know, ultimately, yep. you know, we've all been taught and trained to do properties up to a good standard and create good homes for people. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that we will always say is we probably do spend more on our refurbs than what a lot of people would. We don't necessarily, on the sourcing side of things, we don't necessarily expect our clients or say to our clients, you need to spend that much money. But we often share pictures of, look, this is how we finish our properties. Mm. It's going to cost you a little bit more to do that. But you know, you, you'll get an extra 50, 50 pound a month on the rental side of things. So exactly. It, it and, and you know, you'd like to think that if you give someone a nice property, it doesn't always work, but if you <laughs> give someone a nice property, you want them to keep it nice. I mean, you know, but that, and they are, they are sort of paying a, a good, good rent for it. Mm. Um, if I had to ask each of you what your the, the best thing, the, the, the thing that you enjoy most about having a sourcing business is, what would that be? Hmm. I think it's just talking talking to other people, people who want to get started in property and probably probably don't know how, mm. um, and using our, not our, our level of knowledge and expertise to sort of guide them and sort of show, show them, open their eyes up to what, what's a good deal and what's not. Um, yeah, I, th I think I think that's the main one for me, really. Yeah, and, and I think for me it's it's similar, but it's uh, you know it's, we we kind of and I'm certainly guilty of this. Is once you've been investing for a while, you kind of take it for granted. You're just like, oh, it, it's an, you shouldn't, you absolutely shouldn't, you know. But you get blasé about things, don't you? Like it's another house, it's another deal, but that's only because that's what we do now, you know. Whereas actually, you've got people there who are starting out. I'm a Massive, massive believer in people, you know, doing their own thing, building their own businesses, if they, if that's what they want to do. And if we can be a small part of that, you know, happy, happy days. And we, we pass on that knowledge that it's taken us a, a long time, an awful lot of blood, sweat and tears to, to build up to. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. If any of our listeners do want to get in touch with you and utilise your services, um, how what's the best way in which to do that? I know you two are a little bit uh, <laughs> anti-social media. <laughs> you know, so how, how can our listeners get in touch with you guys? Yeah, well, You won't find us on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or anything else. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why aren't you doing TikTok dances? <laughs> but you can email us. Um, so Darren is Darren at masourcing.co.uk. I'm Dave at masourcing.co.uk. We can give we can give we'll pick Perfect, yeah, if you, you, uh, we'll get we'll get them in the show notes. So listeners, yeah. I'm sure they'll be they'll be in the show notes as well. If you want to get in touch with Dave and Darren, they'll be more than happy to help you and to source source deals. And, and you you know mm -hmm. you're you are actively taking on clients at the moment, aren't you? A absolutely, yeah. And look, you know we're 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 very very much focusing on this business of ours now as well because we've got we've got to that point where we've you know the last few months last probably the last year where we said right we, we really do want to build and develop this now so that's where a lot of our attention is going mm -hmm. excellent and you know running a sourcing business isn't as easy and and if, if somebody is going out there and working with a with a, a a different sourcing agent that isn't fully regulated um you know hopefully you've shared tips with them this evening or today that you, they can listen to and understand and and sort of just vet and verify the letting agents that the sourcing agents that they are working with as well to make sure they're fully above board yeah absolutely just just you know and if there's something that you're not sure about just ask them you know and, and for me that's always a a good tester in business is it if you're asking people things that 
you know or you expect that they should be doing or not be doing, um, whichever way around it is, they should be able to share that answer with you. You know, and if, if you're hearing stuff that you're not too sure about or you don't like or you don't get the right feeling from it, just go elsewhere, you know, because at the end of the day, we're talking about properties. We're not talking about spending a tenner down, you know, the, the local shop, are we? It's, it's, it's tens of thousands of pounds. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, gents. Um, I hope uh, our listeners have enjoyed this episode of understanding kind of the ins and outs of what is involved in running a sourcing business, how to work with sourcing agents as well. And if you are time poor, but want to get started in property, people like Dave and Darren are definitely the way in which you can uh, start doing that for yourself as well. So thank you so much for joining me today, gents. Brilliant. Nice one. Thank you, James. Thank you. And I'll be seeing you very soon, boys. Nice one. See you later. See you later. Bye. Thank you to Dave and Darren for joining me there. A fantastic episode. I'm sure you'll agree. And, uh, you know, very insightful. Really appreciate their thoughts and processes on running a sourcing business um, as well. And it's it's really important that our listeners stay safe by working with compliant sourcing agents if they are wanting to use sourcing agents to help build and grow their portfolios. Um, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I'll see you in another one very soon.